the Andreas Kapsalis and Goran Ivanovic guitar duo. Which is quite long, so sometimes people, you know, we went to India to this festival and they just had AKGI duo. Metallic tapping, acoustic sound mixed with the warm nylon thing. Really interesting, you know? Yeah. So like, this yeah. is, we can do something with this project. Basically composing works inspired by film, composing works inspired by books, stories, you know, myths, and realities, you know. And um, a good advice for classical guitar players is just go out there and play Beatles songs with other people, and uh, your classical playing just might get better at some point. everyone and welcome back to All Strings Considered, the podcast about great music and musicians from the world of stringed instruments. I'm your host, Scott Wolf. All Strings Considered is brought to you in part by Guitar Salon International, the world's largest selection of fine classical and flamenco guitars and accessories. Speaking of great things happening in the guitar world, the GFA International Convention and Competition will take place this year from June 25th to 30th in Louisville, Kentucky, and features great artists like Zoran Dukic, Marcindila, Agnello Desiderio, Elliot Fisk, Berta Rojas with Paquito de Rivera, and a whole bunch more. For more information, visit the GFA website at guitarfoundation.org, and I hope to see you there. On today's show, I'm really excited to introduce you to the Andreas Kapsalis and Goran Ivanovich guitar duo. But that's a bit of a mouthful, so I think I'm going to refer to them as the AKGI duo. Now you might think, oh yeah, just another classical guitar duet. Nope, it's not. These two combine two totally different styles of guitar playing. Andreas Kapsalis plays steel string acoustic guitar with all sorts of extended techniques like eight finger tapping and percussion, sometimes percussion even while he's playing another melody with his left hand, while Goran Ivanovich plays with all the refinement and clarity of tone of the best classical players. The duo's compositional style includes jazz, classical, pop, experimental, with a pretty heavy dose of Balkan and other rhythmically complex traditions. So the music is both complex and totally accessible. People love Chicago wherever you go in the world. Yeah, it's got a good <laughs> reputation. Well, I've noticed that whenever I come to Los Angeles, whenever people find you from Chicago, they're like, oh, I love Chicago. There's always something nice to say about Chicago. So we just met and uh, in Chicago. And so we were playing, he was playing with Eastern Block, and then at the time I had a trio, a guitar trio. It was actually me, guitar, and then I had two percussionists. That was kind of, we met playing shows, cross paths occasionally. I heard about him, maybe he heard about me, and then we did a show together, we did a double bill at a club, a world music club in Chicago called The Hot House. And then we met each other for the first time and we did the show, really liked each other's music. And I think we just started hanging out. Music's his life, music's my life, so there's a lot in common, there's a lot to talk about. I'm not really sure exactly what moment, maybe we were just bored hanging out, and uh, we started playing the guitar together and just trying some things. Well, the difference from us and a lot of, lot of different musicians in, in Chicago was that we actually 
have a blast when we are traveling and playing shows. You know, a lot of people are like, I hate traveling and, you know, it's exhausting and, you know, I don't play well. And, you know, we go out and we have a blast every night. You just love love talking to people, love meeting new people and playing for different audiences. It's, it's the best thing in the world, you know, for us. Yes, yeah, fuel. Um, so that's why we booked the first tour out east and we did about 10, 12 shows. At that point, not not too much material. We had very few songs. We did a lot of solos. And while we were on the road, we were finishing songs. The feedback was so great that we just decided, let's do this. We were recording a couple weeks ago and you were saying, there's so much difference from an acoustic guitar to a classical guitar that in a way it doesn't blend, but it opens up totally different dimension in, in terms of sound. There is a lot of different situations. All right, you know, the, my tone is really complementary now of what you're doing, you know? All, this, all these different timbres that, that he, can, he can do tapping with percussion. And you get that little bit of the distortion <clears throat> from the chords on a steel string. Yeah, yeah. It has this yeah. Like grit to it. Yeah, kind of, kind of an interesting <laughs> thing. Well, I mean, it mainly works because he comes from a very traditional background too. So he's playing a traditional instrument with a traditional background and I have a completely untraditional approach and unorthodox way of doing things. But normally people who come from a traditional place don't really like playing with people who are from an untraditional place. Usually they're turned off by it. And that's, for me, that was actually the exciting thing. Cause I'm like, this is totally out of my norm. I'm usually playing with the freaks, you know, the people who are doing totally weird stuff. And so to play with somebody who's you know, from more of that traditional place, but his open mind is like, let's do this. You know, musically we relate and we want to approach, you know, tunes. Compositionally we, we get along and that's why I don't care how he plays it on the how guitar. How it's executed, yeah. Ah. Um, well, of course it works. Yeah. The compositional place, which I really like too, is that when we write a song, we both have this kind of executive authority, ultimately like, okay, if he writes it or if I write it, there is the suggestion, okay, maybe you should play that a little differently. Or when we write the melodies, you know, I mean, ultimately the execution of the piece is, is great because nylon guitar sings. I really like the way he plays melodies, phrases things. And so that, no matter what, even if I write a melody, I want him to play it because I know he'll execute it the way it's just, supposed yeah, to be it's played. Just, it works it wor worked like that for so many tunes, so we kind of know what works, what, what doesn't. In just a moment, I'm going to play you two tunes from the AKGI duo's self-titled CD. The first tune you're going to hear is a piece simply titled Improvisation for Sati, which they'll introduce for you before you hear it. And then the opening track on that same album called Shadow Thief, which at first conjures a sort of spy movie type atmosphere and then morphs into a Balkan sounding dance and then heads its way back. The improvisational thing, you know, we always do that live, some element of improvisation. Um, either it's compositionally improvisational, come up with a whole kind of interlude piece. And so that song has that captured on the recording, ah. which is nice because we always do it live. It's always exciting live and it's always new live and stuff, but it's nice when we do it on a recording, it's not too contrived or anything, you know, it's always scary. Oh, let's, let's create something amazing Great, on the yeah. spot. And then it's always a worse thing when you say that. Yeah. Like improvisation for Sati was totally improvised. Yeah. And the whole piece? totally improvised on yeah. the spot. We did a couple improvisations that day 
I think we were up really late hanging out, and we went in the studio and we cranked that tune out. And we did another improvisation, which was not good. We decided like that one was good, and then we went back and listened to it. And we're like, "Geez, this is really great." Really nice. Yeah, a lot of people actually commented that's that's one of their favorite tunes on the album because it's got that um, it's very slow and um, just just very sentimental. A lot of people commented that's that's their freshest tune of the album, and we just improvised it. We just cranked it out, so it's weird how, how things happen.
kind of have a theme with a lot of our live improvs. That was, we called it Sati Improvisation for Sati because we're, we're big Sati fans and we really didn't even know it until mm -hmm. after we were kind of, we finished it and we're like, yeah, it's very Sati. And so we realized there's a great underlying appreciation for because we don't really listen to Sati, we don't really play Sati, but we love his sense, simplicity, and I think that piece just has a unique life, more so than any improvisation we've ever done, really. Yeah. With that one, so you kind of applied that title after. Mm -hmm. So you kind of listened to it, oh, that's what came out. Yeah, we're that's like, what it was. this is so Sati-esque, you know? It's tough to uh, relate words to instrumental music, you know, what is, what is this piece about, what is that piece about? Yeah. So you kind of really have to go deep inside and, and relate with your feelings, you know, what, what what did you really feel like when you were writing this phrase or mm -hmm. melody? What does this remind you of? You know? mm -hmm. 
little reverse, you know, kind of a, a total, it's, a, it's an event that's captured, a sonic event that's capturing, and I think that you have to go back and do a little psychoanalysis and say, what, what were we thinking? What compelled us? So one thing is that you go for the nylon on the melody and then yeah. you're accompanying it. Yeah, because a lot of times what I like about these all these extended techniques is that I can do multiple things. So mm -hmm. we can get a nice good bass line so we don't feel like we're missing our bottom end. Mm -hmm. And I can still put some inner voicings in there so I can get my mid-rangey stuff and then provide some percussive element. Uh -huh. So I like it because the melody has its background and can shine and providing this this kind of backdrop to support it. So I think that what's great is that we always kind of bow down gracefully to music is the king, you know? Mm -hmm. There's no ego in this at all. It's really like, okay, let's get it done. Let's serve the song the best we can. Mm -hmm. If that means whatever it means, tapping, percussion, no percussion, different harmony, tuning, drop tuning, playing your melody with different strings, you know, whatever it is, I think that that's approaching it as a team of composers. And of course, we want to have fun playing it live. So Andreas and Goran volunteered towards the end of the interview to give us a little demo and a little deconstruction of what Andreas is talking about here and let you hear a little bit of a separation of the different roles for the different guitars. Maybe we can just um Well you were talking about the bass line chords. Yeah. For example, first the first uh part of the song is more texture rather than melody. So I'm I'm playing I'm doing... So that's bass line and some chords with just his left hand hammering down onto the strings to produce the sounds. In other words, no plucking with his right hand. So that's all with his left hand. Yeah. So... And then... So percussion with his right hand on the body of the guitar. And you put those together and you get... It gives it, that gives us uh, some meat to support this line. And this can sing great, I think, with this in the background, you know? Mm. So that's an example. We do it all together. And Goran comes in with this beautiful melody in harmonics. Yeah, let's twice and then get the yeah. melody maybe. So what's this new album called? Still, uh, 
working on a title, but uh, blackmail is definitely um, an idea. Mm. You know, that's one one of the um, that's one of the stake tunes on, mm. on the album. Mm. So. This all does sound very like film influence, doesn't it? <laughs> right? Like creating a whole story, right? The album or something, Blackmail, The Imposter. It sounds like a, like a film noir. Sounds yeah, like we're in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like we got something to hide. Uh oh. <laughs> so it turns out they did name that new record Blackmail, and it's going to be released on Tuesday, June fourth of this year. Check out akgiduo.com for more information. I happen to have a copy. So I get to play you a couple of these unreleased tunes. But before that, let's hear a little bit about the album. The stuff we wrote, I think it's very autobiographical. So things that have gone on in our lives, it, there's something in there. Songs where we've done and we're like, God, what is this? And why did we do this? Yeah. And it takes a lot of reflecting with the time period well, when we were, what was going on when we wrote that. And also, you know, words are so suggestive in titles, you know, like Moonlight Sonata, that post title type thing. So Andreas is referring to a tendency for 19th century publishers to frequently give a descriptive title to sheet music they were publishing. So a piece of music with the title that Beethoven originally gave it, something like Sonata in the Manner of a Fantasy, is much less likely to sell than the publisher putting the words Moonlight Sonata on it. Kind of ups its marketability, right? Those things are, are cute, they help. Um... But they also do create some imagery, and I mean, we're huge fans of, of uh, you know, basically composing works uh, inspired by film, composing works inspired by books, stories, myths, and realities. And um, this is just our representation of a lot of the things that are going on in our lives. I got a Sundance grant to compose. Uh, I got the Fellowship Composition grant. So I went to Sundance, which is like this, you know, couple week program where you basically crash course in film composing. And so, you know, we had like, you know, Christopher Young, we had the, the greats of the film composing world kind of talking to us about how to compose for film. So I'm like, oh my God, it's a dream come true. So then um, I composed a film, Black Gold, which got into the Sundance Film Festival. So I did that and suddenly I'm composing for film now. So that really gave me some legitimacy and also got me away from just composing for the guitar and opened open my mind up a little bit in the cinematic realm of, of composition. And ever since then, I've been kind of you know scarred where I feel like everything's got to have a story. Everything we write, I feel like is has an intention beyond just it's a song. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's something that is very soundtrack-esque about it. Here are two pieces from AKGI Duo's unreleased album, Blackmail. The first is the piece you heard broken down just a little while earlier, titled The Imposter. And the second is called Calcutation, has this great groove in seven. Thank you. 
Well, I uh, started studying classical guitar first. From early beginnings, I loved uh, playing with other people. It was a great social outlet for me, you know. Similar thing, I wasn't into sports, I didn't play video games, I didn't watch much TV, you know. I, I just loved the way guitar felt in my hands. I, I loved the strings, the feelings of the nails with strings. Playing with other people, it, it was just always great fun. Most classical guitar players, you know, would say the same thing. We just love love the tone, the shortness of the tone after it's plucked. That's the, one of our favorite things. But isn't that something we fight all the time? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you know, let's let's not fight it because it's inevitable. You know, I had some great teachers. My first teacher in uh, Croatia, where I grew up, he was actually very accomplished classical guitar player that probably doesn't get enough credit. I learned a lot. It was a great experience. And when I was twelve, this was in nineteen ninety. So just the beginning of the civil war in former Yugoslavia. Uh, my parents sent me to Salzburg to audition at the Mozarteum. My first teacher at the Mozarteum was, uh, well, my first teacher in Croatia was Mario Šimunović. I'm just so impressed whenever I hear, you know, just another classical guitar in some small town in Croatia is, is playing really great. It blows me away, you know, because, you know, today we have so much information, you know, you, you can look up anything online, the lessons, people are giving away everything. Mm -hmm. So I'm not surprised that there is one million great classical guitar players, but 20 years ago this was actually pretty cool. I moved to Salzburg where I, where I auditioned at the Mozarteum. Yeah, get away from the war. You know, my parents were very encouraging of me. You know, I, I did some competitions, in um, first in Croatia and then the state competition in, in Sarajevo where um, Ana Vidovic and I were competing in the same, I, th I think we shared the first prize at those, she was like, I think she was like 8 and I was 12. <laughs> <laughs> but then Salzburg and I, I first studied with the German professor Matthias Seidel, then I met Joaquin Clerk. I just love his playing, he was probably the first guitar player that just blew me away. He had such a strong sound, such a great tone, very fiery performer. to sound like that. I felt like playing in, in a reserved style that I was surrounded by at that time was just not being myself. I wanted to be crazy because I, inside of myself I knew that I was crazy, you know, but I was too young to realize it. So Joaquin was a lot of fun and then uh, he introduced me to Elliot. That would be Elliot Fisk. And then I was starting with Elliot from probably 94 till, till I moved here to the States in 97, 98. So many great performers come give master classes. Um, I studied chamber music with Hagen Quartet and I studied Baroque music with Anthony Spiri. Improvisation and composition has always uh, been there for me, you know. I, I grew up listening to, I love Chad Atkins, you know. Chad Atkins was huge and for me was and, and Leo Katki and I love Django Reinhardt and Paco de Lucia so you know I always kind of wanted to be exploring different things I liked playing electric guitar I liked Paco songs and I liked Django stuff it took me a long time to start finding my own way my own voice in, in terms of writing pieces you know I always tell people who, who ask me but how do I start improvising it's very difficult and I always said well you just have to start there's no other way than just start and do the best you can 
you know, how, how do I approach this? So I looked into my backyard and I, and I well, I'm from, I'm from former Yugoslavia, so let me actually discover all this, all this great folk music that we have there. Playing around with folk dances from Macedonia, Serbia, Bulgaria. And I found out that there is there is so much out there. There is there is so many different kinds of instruments in, in such a small region. There is so many different styles of Serbian folklore, Croatian folklore, Macedonian, Bosnia. I kind of became that guy, you know, the Balkan jazz, ethno jazz they call it in Serbia. So naturally I was like, well I have to get a drummer and now I have to get a bass player and maybe saxophone would be cool, you know. So I started a group, Eastern Bloc has been around for 10 years. We started out as, as more of a traditional band, playing actually folk dances the way they were meant to be played, but on different instruments. And then with time, once I created a lot, lot of history of this style, I started writing and combining different things. Do you want to give an example? Because on the album, a lot of it sounds very Balkan. Is there one that is specifically connected to one of those dances? Yeah, well, for example, uh, Prorok is very folky sounding. That was one of the tunes that I wrote playing with my band. And then, you know, Andreas and I decided, you know, we would like to turn it into a duo piece. And he adds, you know, interesting material to it and it works out. Prorok is a good example, you know. It's a tune that combines a lot of different meters. Maybe that's my signature styling because when I first started combining different meters people were saying oh wow that's that's really interesting and in just four minutes of music you switch like five times from 5 8 to 7 to 9 to 11 I don't know if, if that was just all right I just learned how to play in all these different meters I'm gonna combine it in one song and people are gonna say oh you're crazy today we're less into combining a lot of different meters we're maybe all right let's do this song in seven throughout but let's play with groupings of the notes. That was an outlet for me. I think it's it's always changing, it's always growing, and it's important for us to be fresh and inspired by different musicians and, you know, get into different kinds of music all the time. So the Balkan, yeah, it's just a part. But it's, you know, for me, it's really nice to have this foundation in classical guitar. It makes it easier to get into flamenco or jazz. You know, getting my raschiato better, getting my um, accompaniment better when we improvise or play over the changes. That's never-ending story. So here's Prorok, another tune from AKGI's self-titled album.
Andres Capsalis. I grew up uh, in a musical family. My father was a violinist. Basically, I started guitar around 11. I just started acoustic guitar. I was always around kind of classical music. All my siblings played instruments as well. But I loved rock and roll. You know, I grew up with blues and, and, you know, basically kind of a typical kid who loves guitar, loves everything about guitar, no matter what it is, you know, that nice, innocent, open mind thing. And then I was basically composing. I was writing little ideas here and there. And I studied a little composition in high school and then... I put a little group together and I started to play my ideas and then I started to fall in love with playing. So I learned how to read music, learned how to write it. I just was driven with it, you know, to play. I liked playing eight hours a day, nine hours a day, practicing different techniques. Not really even sure if I wanted to go into it as a serious thing. I just knew I loved it and it made me feel good about myself. And I wasn't into sports, I wasn't necessarily good at in school. I was about 18, 19, then I cut my tendon in my left hand. That didn't happen. I used to carve wood and I started to be a luthier for a little while too. Since I severed that tendon, I stopped playing guitar for about six months started to play experiment with this hand on the guitar just because I was kind of going crazy a little bit getting depressed and just oh my god I gotta play this instrument I wasn't sure if I was gonna get motion back or anything because they had to sew the tendon back together I had to do physical therapy all this stuff because the whole arm is connected all the tendons so the whole thing's useless if one finger's sliced so they, they set the arm in a cast actually playing tapping techniques exact same fingering Everything's exactly the same, it's just the different perspectives. You play a scale the exact same way if you go up the neck. So it's great because it's literally like a mirror image kind of thing. Then I got the tendon fixed, did physical therapy, and got the motion back, but then I had this ambidextrous thing going on. So Mm -hmm. then I started experimenting, saying, wow, this is cool, I can do some neat things with this, started playing with that. And then a lot of people would be like, oh, you must love Stanley Jordan, or you must love Michael Hedges, or these guitar players. And I was like, I don't know who they are, so I checked them out. Um, so then that became my thing. So I realized at that point, so it's a full-time job, actually we talked about this with, with Adam, about being a flamenco guitar player, for instance, that is a full life career. Being a Django type guitar player is a full life career. Being a great jazz improviser is a full life career. Great classical guy. So I knew that I was not going to be able to be any of those things if I was going to make this technique my priority. You know, this extended technique of the eight finger stuff. So I got in that world and I had to at some point say that I have to accept that. Because I can't have nails to tap, so I can't do classical. Uh I'm not going to use a pick anymore, so there goes my picking style. So I committed to this road a long time ago. So I would still compose, but now this was the way I played and this is the way I composed. And so it was great. It was a great tool for actually to try different ideas, to have this ability to play 12th fret up here, play a melody on the 12th fret while I'm fingering chords down here. Uh So then it opened up my compositional view Uh of the instrument. Just kind of like, does your composition sound different if you compose it on the guitar or the piano? Of course, the piano is a great tool because you have full range at any given moment. Guitar is limited to where you are, unless your open string is there to back you up. So it's got limitations. Mm -hmm. And so that's why guitar music sounds like guitar music. But it's nice when compositions don't sound like guitar music sometimes. So this gave me a different view on things. The Greek influence has always been there. I My only reason I could say it was there was the, my mom used to play Greek records around the house. I never really said, I'm going to play. I would learn Greek melody here and there, uh-huh. you know, just curiosity. Oh, uh-huh. what scale is that? You know, more for just like food for thought. That's interesting. Uh, but it was my first exposure to, to world music, you know. And so later when I would compose, it was always kind of there. 
people would be like, oh, you sound like it's Greek influence. I'd be like, I don't really think so. It's a lot of mixed meter in Greek music too, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah. that's what you know I love about that music is yeah. that it's it's a dance and it's in such an odd meter, and so that teaches. I think a composer or musician actually the uh, the right way is to think of odd meters as dances, so you don't make it metronomic and stiff. Uh-huh. Guys like Dave Brubeck have been a big influence because that was like okay, that was somebody who's not in the folk world, yet he makes Blue Rondo a la Turk sound very dancey still. And that's great, or take five, you know, any of his pieces. And so that was a that was a huge influence on me as well to see that okay, well, this can be done just because I'm not dancing it, I'm not an authentic Greek guy playing this stuff, second generation Greek, but I can still use it. It's a great compositional tool. If it feels good. If it's not like Dream Theater playing nine, eight, or seven, eight, you yeah. know. <laughs> Where it's a mental thing. So that's awesome. my story. The, the main reason we started playing together as well is that it's been easy playing together. And people would always tell us that. You guys play like one guitar player. You guys just really fit. And I, you know, for years, I think we took it for granted, really. We were just like, yeah, yeah, but we were playing with our own groups. So we'd only play together like once in a while. And then we did that tour. And then we realized, you know what, let's stop ignoring, I think, the fact that there's yeah. something really, there's a symbiotic thing going on there that's really rare. And you know, playing with other people, you have to try a little harder to understand, okay, all right. But when he rushes, I rush. When I slow down, he slows down. And this is a nice thing, like the peace rules. There's no fighting. There's kind of a organic movement about it. Yeah, so some, something happened for, for both of us, playing with different instruments and, and fighting different instrumentation in groups different personalities yeah but I think why we had such a good time for the last five six years playing together is we did our bands for for a long time and we, we learned how to listen how to accept if you're not listening you get bored and you stop learning um, I fight myself every time all right just listen to him more than I listen to myself and I get way more more pleasure out of that that's when that real interlock happens too I, was, I started yeah. off playing in bands and stuff and I'm always surprised when you get together with classical players and to read duos or quartets yeah. or whatever, and they're not paying any attention they're just yeah. playing and yeah, the lock isn't happening that right. rock bands do automatically that's, that's yeah, funny that's you should mention that because that's something that right you learn at a young age, if you like rock and play with people, you learn to gel right away. Yeah. Because you realize that's what makes you stand out from the other kid down the block who's got a band. Right. <laughs> to yeah. play in time, to play whatever that time is, we're locking. And dynamically, and like yeah. it's not just about playing together, but it's about speeding up and slowing down. That flexibility of of these kinds of compositions. That's yeah. that's one thing that you know is probably good advice for classical guitar players is just go out there and play Beatles songs with other people, and uh, your classical playing just might get better at some point. You know. So before I leave you with one of my personal favorites from the Andreas Kapsalis and Goran Ivanovich guitar duo, a tune called Samba in 10, let me just say thanks for listening to All Strings Considered. 
I'm your host, Scott Wolf. All Strings Considered is brought to you in part by Guitar Salon International, the world's largest selection of fine classical and flamenco guitars and accessories. Hey, don't forget to check out the GFA website for the upcoming festival this June. And if you like the show, please take a second to help it move up in the world by rating it on iTunes, liking on Facebook, or following on Twitter at All Strings. Until next time, enjoy this last tune. Samba is like a you know original composition that is um, kind of like the first song we worked on together. That was the first song that kind of blew me away in how he interprets stuff that I do uh-huh. and what he adds to the textures and the layers and all that stuff. That song I do the tapping on, that was when we first heard that kind of metallic tapping acoustic sound mixed with the warm nylon thing. We can do something with this project, you know? Uh-huh.